Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A lot on Georgia spring practice coming up. It begins today. Kirby Smart, we will hear from him. Busy time over the next few weeks as the 2022 Dogs take center stage and start the work on the defense of the national championship. That still feels really good to say, and we're looking forward to seeing what the 2022 Dogs have in store for us. All of that coming up here in a moment. Before that, how about a little Arch Manning talk off the top? We have some interesting new developments in the recruit of Manning, Georgia's pursuit of him, along with what right now seems to be chief rival for that, the Texas Longhorns. Now, we've also heard in recent weeks about the potential insertion of Florida because of a new coaching staff, LSU because of a new coaching staff into this recruitment. But for now, things seem to be kind of as they have been with you know, Ole Miss and Alabama slightly part of this, but Georgia going head-to-head mostly with Texas for the services of the five-star, obviously very famous last name, Manning, Steve Wiltfong from 24-7 Sports, who has had a lot of coverage of this story throughout the entirety of the process, is back at it again in recent days, letting us know that coming up pretty soon, Manning going to be back in Athens. That is good news, but it comes with a caveat. Let me show you Wiltfong on Twitter here. I'll read this to you, and then we'll talk a little bit about kind of where all of this stands. Do we have Steve Wiltfong? Here we go. Uh, five-star quarterback Arch Manning locks in return visits, Wiltfong says, to Georgia and to Texas. Kirby Smart and company get the New Orleans. Uh, is it Isidore Newman? Is that how you say that? Uh, Isidore Newman, that's the school that he goes to. The New Orleans standout back this weekend, and then Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns get him next Thursday. So the takeaway from that is, is that Arch Manning is going to be in Athens again at the University of Georgia here this week, but... After that, next week is also scheduled to visit the University of Texas. So once again, you're kind of at that Georgia versus Texas deal when it comes to Arch Manning. Now, cool report from Wilt Fong. Very interesting to see how Georgia gets a chance to lay all this out for Manning when he's back on campus here uh, coming up, as we've been reportedly stated, in a few days. However, there's also kind of an honesty compels me to admit thing here that you are seeing some online predictions on some of the major websites. I think actually all three of the the major national recruiting websites, I think in the last week or so, have had a writer go on record to predict that Arch Manning lands at Texas. Uh, That's kind of where the chatter is right now. I don't put a lot of stock in these early predictions necessarily. Um, I, I don't know that these are always based on a whole lot of real true tangible evidence. That's not a shot at the people who are making the predictions. Uh, I'm just saying that for me, early predictions like this don't necessarily turn into something. Uh, so I'm not going to do a whole lot on whatever they're called now, crystal balls and all this other stuff that people kind of have out there these days. I'm not going to do a whole lot to be all that concerned about that. But I also have no reason to disbelieve that Texas obviously looms as a huge threat to Georgia in the Arch Manning recruitment. And if you wanted to suggest that that Texas is the favorite over Georgia, I don't know that that's true, but I also don't have any reason to think that it's not true either, that that, that obviously Texas has been a pretty ever-present factor in all of this. 
But if we are going to assume here for a moment that Georgia and Texas, because they have the two currently scheduled visits and schools like Florida and LSU that we were told might materialize so far kind of haven't, maybe they will eventually, or schools like Ole Miss and and Alabama who are kind of also a part of this there as well. If this is kind of a Georgia-Texas thing for right now, I'm a little bit curious if something someone has told us before ends up being true in all of this. I want to go back in time to an audio clip that you maybe heard before. This goes back like a year ago. And this is from SEC Country Live. It's a guy named Richard Cross. And Richard is like an Ole Miss insider. And we had Richard as Ole Miss insider on SEC Country Live to talk about Arch Manning from the Ole Miss perspective. And what was interesting about that, like more than a year ago, this is a long time ago now, is some of the things that Richard said during the interview we did with him on SEC Country Live has actually turned out to be true. First of all, from the Ole Miss perspective, you know, that's the school that Richard's most closely connected to. Certainly, certainly Richard at the time did not play up or overplay the involvement of Ole Miss and Manning's recruitment, which I thought was interesting at the time because, frankly, I actually went into the interview with Cross at the time thinking that Ole Miss was a bigger player than, than Cross seemed to suggest they were. And as it turns out, he was kind of right about that. Also, Richard was well ahead of everybody else in terms of eliminating Clemson from the recruitment of Arch Manning. So some of the things that Richard told us in SEC Country Live way back then have kind of turned out to be true. And so with that in mind, a question that that Richard asked of Manning, about Manning, when he was on SEC Country Live more than a year ago, to me still looms as pretty relevant now that we're thinking about Georgia versus Texas for Manning. Let me let you hear Richard from back then, and I'll tell you why that matters to me now. This the old Miss insider on the five-star quarterback. I honestly think that you've only got four programs that are legitimately in it. I, I think it's Alabama and Texas and Georgia and Ole Miss. Uh, you know, I mean, I know there are people that want to say, yeah, but his mom went to Virginia. Come on, Arch Manning's not going to Virginia. <laughs> um, you know, Clemson, I, I don't know. It feels, it all of a sudden feels like there's kind of a weird vibe with Clemson. Mm-hmm. And, and why are you going to go to the ACC? There's one thing that those four programs have in common. They either are SEC teams or are going to be SEC teams. Uh, the Manning strike me very much as a, an SEC family. So it's the last sentence there that I find interesting. And I don't know that any of us would disagree with that, right? That the Mannings, Richard Cross says, knowing that family personally, at least the, the Archie Manning part of that, um, they strike me very much as an SEC family. That's why Richard felt comfortable at the time eliminating Clemson, something that later on officially did happen. Richard essentially called that because he says this is a, this is a family that's not going to hitch their wagon to anybody in the ACC. This is an SEC family. And as he said, the schools that at one point in time were named the finalists and the schools that have also been added here as, like, I guess, like late contenders, LSU and Florida – these are all, as, as Cross says, either schools in the SEC or schools that eventually will be, or a school that eventually will be in the SEC when it comes to Texas. So, so my question on all of this is, is Texas SEC enough now to win with Arch Manning? Clearly it has a lot to offer if you want to talk about the NIL stuff and things like that. All the rumors are out there that, oh, Texas just got money to throw around. They're going to do this, that, and the other when it comes to all of that. And this is clearly a big capital city when it comes to college football. But it's also a little weird, too, right? I mean, part of the reason why the the Big 12 has had a hard time kind of remaining relevant as a conference is, frankly, because of how weird Texas is and how much nobody seems to really like Texas very much because Texas seems to kind of think of itself as above everything else. That's both a kind of a caricature and a joke, but also to a degree kind of true there as well. There is this kind of 
puffy sense of unearned pride that Texas seems to have that a lot of people have wondered how good of a fit's that going to be in the SEC. For the most part, this is all everybody on equal footing. Nobody gets to be the the big fish in the small pond around here in the SEC because everybody has kind of historically stood on the same ground. And whatever pride you're going to have, you better earn that because there's always somebody willing to, ready to take that from you. And so some people have kind of wondered how good of a fit is Texas going to be in the SEC eventually? And that's probably a fair question to ask. But maybe a more fair question to ask right now is, is for the Manning family, who an insider who kind of knows the family says is kind of SEC-centric, is Texas truly SEC enough right now? Eventually they will be in this league, but before they get there, are they SEC enough right now to earn Arch Manning and his uh, commitment for the 2023 class? I think that's going to be one of the interesting subtexts and subplots to all of this as it continues to play out. And then the other thing I'll say about all this is this, is that Manning is clearly not the only great quarterback kind of on the current recruiting landscape. Jefferson told a great story yesterday about Dylan Rayola from the class of 2024. There are even other 2023 quarterbacks who I find to be pretty intriguing. This, for me, is not necessarily Manning or bust for UGA because oftentimes the the nature of predicting who's going to be a great quarterback becomes a little bit surprising and. Uh, That's probably made even more true because of all of the mainstream outside the bubble of typical recruiting influence attention a guy like Arch Manning is going to get. That may be even more true with him. What Arch Manning does continue to be for me, though, is a bit of a bellwether in terms of and listen, we know Georgia recruiting is going to be fine no matter what. We do this every offseason of what's going on with UGA recruiting and it always ends up adding up to being an elite class. But In this particular case, it's not will the 2023 class for Georgia be elite or not. It's simply a matter of how elite will it be? How much does Georgia's current status as national champion truly matter? And how much are people taking notice of the fact that Georgia's also, over the course of the last couple of years, taking great strides to prove offensively? I think the arrival of a guy like Arch Manning, both on campus again this week, but eventually as a possible commit in the 2023 class, would be a pretty strong indication of just how strong the UGA brand is. It seems like the dogs are in a pretty big fight with Texas right now. There are some who even say the Longhorns lead on all of this. Let's see how that plays out once Georgia gets a chance to host Manning at least a couple of more times. And let's see if this really can stand as a measurement that Georgia as the reigning national champion and as a longtime dominant recruiting power as a program, it's just as strong as ever. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And so glad to have all of you with us, whether you join us at 945 at dognation.com and the Dog Nation app for our first and 15 or 10 a.m. on all the other video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio each and every day at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960F and as a podcast wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, all the podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you as a part of the program, also happy to have our friends at Engineered Solutions of the Georgia. You know, ESOG, they've been proud partners of UGA for a long time. They've been longtime friends of ours at Dog Nation Daily. So it's always fun to support those who support UGA. We're always truly grateful around here for those of you who show some support for those that have supported our program and helped us be on the air and do what we do each and every day. And that is truly what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is. The name to know for you when you're dealing with foundation waterproofing issues. These are signs potentially of serious trouble. And as a homeowner, you've got a real duty and obligation to protect your home in what many cases is the most valuable investment asset that you have. 
also the source of so much of your emotional you know connection there as well that that's what your home is about and you know foundation stuff water creeping in where it's not supposed to be those are the kinds of things that threaten all of that the structural integrity of your home the thing that matters so much to you esog understands all of that they've got two full-time engineers on staff they know what a big deal it is to take good care of your home and that's what they want to help you do so if you see signs whether it be water in the garage the crawl space the, the basement when it rains if you see those cracks in the walls you know that's something that needs to be seen about. Don't put off making that decision today. Reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Truly, they are my friends. Jay, Derek, so many of the guys over there, I've uh, gotten to know them and, uh, and enjoy spending time with them. And you will enjoy spending time with them as well when they do great work for you. So the number to dial here could not be easier to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll put you in touch with my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley. We're going to get very deep into the start of Georgia spring practice and some of the big questions that SMART will be asked today. Introductory press conference, which kind of kicks off the start of spring, which kind of kicks off the 2022 football calendar. A lot of that coming up here over the course of the next couple of days, and we'll get that started with Connor here in a moment. Let me give you a few of my own thoughts on that, though, before we get there. Kind of a quick version of Around the Doghouse here for a moment kind of some of the big questions being asked about UGA right now. Let's start with this. The other day, ESPN had an interesting piece up looking at the way too early top 25 and the issues for some of those teams. We actually highlighted some of the non-UGA versions of this on our SEC through the other day when we were cruising with Royal Caribbean. Uh, I want to focus in on now what a writer Harry Lyle said about Georgia at ESPN.com. And the expectation of the Georgia defense here this season, the assumption that he makes, given the fact that Georgia no longer has the Jordan Davises and the Trayvon Walkers, the Devontae Wyatts, the Nicobe Deans, also losing Dan Lanning, who moves on to become head coach at Oregon. And I thought that Lyles, the writer at ESPN, made a pretty interesting statement about all this. Let me show you him on the screen here saying, it's fair to expect some sort of drop-off from a historically great defense that lost many of its faces and its leader. He means Dan Lanning there. But watching this still incredibly talented group mesh and seeing who will stand out in it, like uh, maybe a Jalen Carter, will be key as Georgia looks to defend its title. That's Harry Lyles Jr., the writer for ESPN. So here's the, the, the question that Lyles' statement, I think, immediately begs. How much of a drop-off do you expect? Because, listen, I don't think that Georgia in 2022 will be the best defense of all time. That's you know maybe what the 2021 defense could have potentially laid claim to. There's certainly an argument to be made for that. But I think for would-be rivals of Georgia that hope that the ESPN rider is more correct than he knows and that Georgia has some sort of drastic drop-off defensively, I really think they're heading for a disappointment. I really do. And you say, well, what else would a guy who's wearing a Georgia shirt and doing a Georgia show – admittedly a Georgia fan what else would you expect that guy to say and, and, and maybe that's true maybe this is simply me looking at this too much through red and black colored glasses I will we'll disregard that as at least a potential possibility here but I also think when you go back and look at the history of the Georgia defense under Kirby Smart there are very few examples when this defense wasn't at least very good and in most cases more often than not they've been great so I think what the situation is right now for the Georgia defense is less about it no longer being as good as it once was and more about a lot of 
folks outside the bubble of Dog Nation may be just not aware of who some of the names are. They're going to repopulate this defense and give it a chance to provide, as the ESPN writer suggested, a worthy defense of its national championship. Uh, first and foremost, Jalen Carter. Listen, I can go back and play you what folks were saying. I'm talking about on this Georgia roster about Jalen Carter a year ago. There were folks at the time who thought he was the most talented guy on this defense, even though now we know how good everybody else was. Carter was getting plenty of praise this time a year ago. And in a lot of ways, this is his team now. This is his unit. I have said before that, you know, if this was the old school day when we still published the media guide and still published the tickets and all that kind of stuff, the programs. I mean, Jalen Carter's face is on all of that right now. He is in so many ways the face of this team this year. And a lot of folks around the country are going to get ready to know who he is. And as I suggested on one of the shows that I did when I was on vacation a few weeks ago, you know, listen, last year, Kirby Smart spent the entire year trying to ramp down expectations, trying to get the players in this Georgia defense not to believe their press clippings because, you know, outlets like ESPN and others were, you know, going around, and obviously we're guilty of this kind of thing too, but going around greatest defense of all time, you know, all the statistical stuff about how special this defense was. At the time, Kirby Smart wanted the players to ignore that. Well, as I suggested a few weeks ago, Maybe now it's the opposite tack that you take. Maybe now, you know, you do point out that, hey, ESPN thinks you're going to have a drop-off. You know, uh, so-and-so outlet doesn't know who any of you guys are. Uh, nobody thinks you're going to be as good as N'Kobe and Trayvon and Devontae and obviously Jordan Davis. Uh, they don't think y'all are a worthy follow-up to all of that. And all of a sudden, what was maybe the kind of, I hate to use this phrase, but y- y- y'all know what it is, a rat poison, you know, the type thing you wanted to avoid last year. Maybe you feed some of that these guys this year. Maybe, maybe you say, hey, how about showing them what you're truly all about? It's at least uh, worth considering. That may be part of the story for the Georgia defense, taking on an added level of motivation to prove that this group of guys, some of these not household names as of yet, are certainly a worthy follow-up to the great 2021 Georgia defense. Then there's this. Let's go back to Thursday's show for a moment. We asked Terrence Edwards directly, the great former Georgia wide receiver, about Eric Gilbert and Terrence's belief about Gilbert's availability for spring practice. That's obviously one of the big questions for UGA. We have seen evidence of Gilbert working his way back into football shape, and we've seen evidence of him doing some good work in the classroom. But how about spring practice? And obviously for the fan, how about G-Day? Will we see Eric Gilbert doing all of this? This is what Terrence told us about that last Thursday. Take a listen to this. Terrence, will Arik participate in Georgia spring practice? As far as I know, he will. Uh, I haven't been told anything. Uh, he hasn't told me that he uh, will not. So uh, I don't know for certain, but he has not told me that he wouldn't be able to participate in spring drills. I'm assuming he will. Uh, until someone tells me he won't, then I, will think, I wouldn't think otherwise. So that's uh, Terrence Edwards on Eric Gilbert last Thursday. We're going to get more information from that to, on that topic from Kirby Smart here today because how involved Gilbert's ready to be. Let's keep in mind here that he made a decision to step away from football a year ago after arriving at Georgia last summer to kind of work on what was described by Terrence's close mentor and Kirby Smart as kind of a personal issue. So we've seen Gilbert working his way back. Is that work completed? Is he now back and ready to go as a full-fledged member of this team again? We'll find out, I think, some more about that from Kirby Smart here today. And uh, Terrence Edwards possibly helped preview some of that with this last Thursday. Then one more thing on this, and I'll get to Connor Riley with his own thoughts on spring practice. The other thing that you have going on here 
is a lot of new faces among your coaching ranks. New outside linebackers coach, new cornerbacks coach, new offensive line coach. There are new coaches in place here, a new wide receivers coach, of course. There are new coaches in place here that provide a little bit of a a new blood for Georgia practice and perhaps a new energy. And John Stinchcomb, who's a great former Georgia All-American and who obviously know what it's like, knows what it's like to go through a UGA spring practice. I asked him yesterday, hey, can those new coaches be an opportunity for players who've been on the roster list? A lot of us have been on teams. We kind of know how this is from time to time. You know, sometimes maybe as a player, you're just not the guy for that particular coach. And listen, I know it's a cliche to say, hey, I would have been playing more, but the coach didn't like me. I realize that's a cliche, but there is a thing of some players just seem to kind of rise up for certain coaches and other guys for whatever reason that just doesn't quite happen for them. Is the presence of a new coach a new opportunity for players who've been here biding their time, waiting for their chance? And John Stinchcomb gave a very affirmative answer to that yesterday, uh, Stinchcomb here on the topic of the new coaches and how they impact these new players. It's very true just because, you know, each coach is – they have – specific skill sets that they look for in a player and sometimes that's different I think uh, you can go back to the offensive line conversations we had four or five years ago and it was we're looking for big massive space eating people moving road graders and then the conversation shifted over the years to big athletic guys that can that can move and, and play in space and I think that has a lot to do with the identity and characteristics that a coach is looking for in a player's skill set. And when you have this much turnover, not only in in players, but also the coaching staff, um, it does provide new opportunities. Let me see if I can sum all this up together. I think what all of this adds up to is a level of energy. And if I could think of like one word that's on my mind going into the start of Georgia spring practice, that would be my word. It's energy you know some of that energy is provided by the fact you've got like 19 early enrollees and that new blood on campus they want to make a name for themselves they bring an energy into the practice that the older more veteran players who've kind of been there done that they're gonna have to match that and the presence of these new coaches and the and the enthusiasm they bring for their new job is also going to bring out more energy in the players who just naturally want to impress their guy especially if maybe you weren't getting as much playing time as you wanted a year ago. Now, new coach, new opportunity. That brings its own sense of energy. There's also the, I think, the natural desire to want to prove naysayers wrong. Those who say, well, the Georgia defense is going to have a big drop off. I think there are a lot of guys who want to say, really? Watch what I'm about to do. Or the Georgia offense who maybe made some big plays for George Long the way to winning a national championship despite some predictions to the contrary by so many people. Maybe that group has its own chip on its shoulder for whatever reason, all adding up to a national championship program that is not in any kind of mood to relinquish that trophy anytime soon. I think the presence of energy on this Georgia spring practice field and the way in which Kirby Smart speaks about that, the Georgia players, when they speak about that, those rumors that invariably will kind of creep out of all of this. I think the presence of that energy and how all of what I just described adds to that and creates that for UGA That, to me, is the thing to watch here this spring. So those are my thoughts on all of that here as we go around the doghouse. 
I know Connor Riley's had a lot to say about that there as well. He wrote about that this morning for DogNation.com. He's actually on the road, on his way to Athens right now, being on hand for a kickoff to spring for UGA today, and obviously a lot coming from the Classic City here over the course of the next couple of days as well and the next few weeks there too. So let's find out his own thoughts about spring practice as we do a Kroger Fresh Take with him here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley. He had a good piece this morning, kind of kicking off the preview to spring. We will hear from Kirby Smart a little bit later on. Connor kind of predicting some of the big questions that Smart will be asked today. We'll talk about some of that with Connor here over the course of our time. Kroger Fresh Take here today. But Connor, before we get into that, just kind of a general uh, thought here for a moment. Do you kind of agree with me that when you got so many new players, all these early enrollees coming in, so many new coaches, uh, you know, so much new talk about Georgia being in a position that it's not used to being in, defending national champion, that the recipe for a very high energy next few weeks, to me, it's there, that there's no shortage of sources for motivation here, and that we, I think, have the potential of seeing a Georgia team that's really kind of chomping at the bit to get back at it here for the 2022 campaign. I think there's a lot of, uh, of cool pieces that add together that we could be in store for a really pretty dynamic next few weeks. Yeah, there's no patting themselves on the back. Oh, we won the national championship last year, our first since 1980. There's no real, you know, sense of accomplishment, I think, with this team. I think Kirby Smart has made it very clear whether, you know, you look at the comments he made in front of Georgia legislators a few weeks ago or the various media appearances he's had, he's not looking backwards. He didn't come to Georgia just to win one national championship and then sort of coast for the rest of his time here. He came here to do what Nick Saban has done in Alabama and win multiple national championships. So, yeah, Georgia's going to have a lot of guys participating in its pro day. They've had a lot of guys transfer out of the program. A lot of coaches move on to bigger jobs. So there's a newness here, and I think that's going to create a sense of hunger to, hey, establish this team's own identity. You know, everyone is going to talk about the 2021 team for the rest of their lives they're a Georgia fan. How is this 2022 team going to be talked about? And I think this spring practice, as we saw a season ago, you know, you think back to Kobe Dean, even though he's not physically participating, he was doing things in spring practice that helped that Georgia defense come to fall. Who's going to sort of fill that role this spring for Georgia? So when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, one of the shows that I did as a as a pre-record was to look at Stetson Bennett for the upcoming spring. And what I went back and did was I played some audio from Kirby Smart on an Atlanta radio station back last March when he was asked directly about JT Daniels. And the thing that I pointed out was is that it's very rare for Kirby Smart to name a starting quarterback. And in so many words, that's what Daniels did. I should say that's what Smart did with Daniels this time last year he said he is the guy and talked about how he had earned that trust now what's ironic about that is is that obviously over the course of the rest of the year that seemed to change but at the time smart was saying things about jt daniels that he very rarely said about any quarterback going into any season and the question i asked the time is will stetson bennett get the same kind of treatment here this spring now you may say well based on what happened to jt a year ago maybe that's the kiss of death but regardless of what turns out to be true later on does Stetson get that kind of treatment right now? Un- undeniably, there will be a lot of quarterback questions asked here on this Tuesday for Smart's press conference today. Connor, you've already written some about this, but do you think that Stetson Bennett gets QB1 treatment unquestionably, undeniably, by Smart here to kick off spring with the words that he uses? In a public sense, 
no, he's going to, I think, come out and say it, it is a competition. We have nothing decided. But I think, you know, behind the closed doors of the Kirby Smart curtain, I do think that Seth and Bennett is going to be treated like quarterback one. Uh, you know, you can manifest Brock Vanderbilt or Carson Beck or even Gunnar Stockton to be the starting quarterback in front of your dream board. But the reality is, with what Stetson did last year and him returning for another season, I mean, why can't he get better again? Nobody thought that he would improve off of what we saw in 2020, but that is exactly what he did in year two under Todd Munkin. And I think there's a very real possibility that if he continues to cut down on his turnovers and, and, and this offense opens up a little bit more, we can see Stetson Bennett take another step forward. Now, obviously, I think one of, the, one of if not the biggest storylines this spring is what happens with Brock Vanderbilt and Carson Beck for that number two job. You know, I think Gunnar Stockton, as we've seen from freshman quarterbacks before at Georgia under Todd Munkin's uh, offense, it takes some time to get used to it. What do those two guys do? How do they practice this spring? Because, you know, with the transfer portal and the numbers crunch that Georgia's going to have to go to, it wouldn't be surprising if one of them elects to transfer to try and find a better home elsewhere after this spring. And so I think whoever comes out and really establishes themselves and plays well this spring, I think it's going to be something very interesting and something worth watching, you know, from those two backup quarterbacks. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'd be pretty shocked if Stetson Bennett isn't the starter for Georgia's season opener against Oregon. And I think you can even look back to last year, some of the pitfalls that Georgia did have when they named JT the public starter. And, and then as the season goes along, they realize Stetson Bennett is the better option for them. And that is sort of brought back up to Kirby. Well, why did you feel so comfortable by naming JT the starter in the spring when so much had changed? by the time the season rolled around. So in the case of Beck versus Brock, which already to me looks like a pretty good poster for like a, you know, a pay-per-view wrestling event or something like that, it is fairly well coaching 101 to not give any separation or indication of separation after the spring practice for the obvious reason of you don't want the guy who's trailing in that competition to be more tempted to transfer. It doesn't always happen with the coaches. You know, for instance, uh, Gus Malzahn in his last year at Auburn, he kind of whittled down his QB competition a little bit by the end of the spring. But most coaches just find a way to say, gosh, it's just as wide open now as it ever was going into the summer. Do you think Kirby Smart kind of follows that paint-by-numbers routine where – regardless of what's actually happening between Vandegrift and uh, Beck, that both guys are treated as essentially equals throughout spring to keep both guys kind of on the hook? I do think so. I think if he can get to a spot where Georgia will have four scholarship quarterbacks going into the fall, I think that's a win for Georgia. And, and you know, it, it's, a, if it's, it's a difficult needle to thread because you want to keep both of them happy. You want to keep both of them engaged. But we also know – Kirby Smart's not going to be very forthcoming when it comes to discussing players and how they're performing in practice. And so what that ultimately ends up doing is that puts even more pressure on how these guys are going to look and play in GA because that is going to lead to so many more observations just because, you know, we sort of talk about this all the time. There's a lack of readily available information. Something is going to fill that vacuum. And so when you have a Carson Beck, Brock Vandergrift, where that's probably one of the main storylines for GA in April, Whoever, like, if one guy is noticeably better that day than the other, you know, it's going to make things even more crystallized, apparently, than what might actually be happening behind closed doors there because there's just no real information out there on where things stand from a quarterback. And if no front banner goes out and lights it up on G-Day and looks demonstrably better than, say, Carson Beck, so that may end up backfiring for Kirby in the sense that even though Brock just had a much better day than Carson that day, reality over the course of the 15 practices they were probably much much closer in terms of where they were in terms of the competition 
You and I talked about this off the air a little bit yesterday. Listen, I'm a Georgia fan. There's obviously tons to love about Kirby Smart. (laughs) There are certain things with with the way you speak sometimes. It can be a little frustrating. An example of that is, for me, the situation at defensive coordinator where Glenn Schum and Will Muschamp have been named as co-coordinators, but I would say that Smart has gone out of his way to intentionally muddy the waters about this subject when asked. This is not the first time that Smart's played it pretty coy when it comes to to coordinator stuff over the years if I had to predict I think we see the same thing again today Connor where clearly he'll be asked more about those coaching responsibilities how they're divided between Muschamp and Schumann um I think that Smart will once again try to sidestep that I don't think he wants to give a clear indication on that um I think I kind of know why that is but nonetheless my guess is is that for those who are hoping to get some strong clarity on the division of responsibilities with the defensive coordinator situation, if I had to predict, I don't think they get that here on this Tuesday. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I probably agree with that. Uh, you know, the, the specter of Will Muschamp looms large, but it, it, it's interesting. Obviously, I think the fans are much more excited about what Will Muschamp can bring to the team and, and whatnot. But you know, in referencing our conversation from yesterday. I mean, I don't know what more you could want from an assistant in Glenn Schumann. He recruits at an incredibly high level. All of his linebackers go to the NFL. He has been regarded as one of the smartest coaches on the staff in recent seasons. I think this guy is poised to one day be a head coach. I'll even go one step further. I think he's going to be an SEC head coach. I think that highly of Glenn Schumann. And for whatever reason, I think there's a much greater appetite to see Will Muschamp in that role, to see Will Muschamp succeed. So, well, I do believe, you know, come Oregon uh, on September 3rd, we're going to see Glenn Schumann on the sideline standing next to Kirby Smart making the defensive play calls. Smart, for whatever reason, is, is playing this close to the best because I do think that he doesn't want to give the perception that, oh, it's Schumann and that you have Muschamp looming. And what that creates is, well, Georgia defense doesn't play up to the Georgia standard, which it will be very difficult to do so with all that they lost in the defense. Very early on, you create a potential narrative that why are you having Glenn Schumann who's never done this before when you have a, try, a guy who's done it in Will Muschamp? And so, in a way, protest maybe not the proper word, but I think he wants to, you know, give Glenn Schumann sort of a soft opening as that lead defensive voice while having Will Muschamp still on staff for all that he brings to this Georgia football program. Yeah, I think soft opening is a good description there. I mean, you go back and look at the start of Dan Lanning's tenure as defensive coordinator. For the most part, Georgia didn't really treat him as DC until they were sure he was good at the jo- at the job. You know, you know. And I think you, I think there's some justifiable reason for this. I mean, think about a young defensive coordinator at Alabama like Tosh Lapoy, who pretty quickly became a scapegoat for that program and, and you know drew the ire of fans. I think it's actually probably pretty smart that 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 Georgia has protected its young coordinators a little more so than that. The moment they found out that Lanning was a capable coordinator, or at least that the results were indicating he was a capable coordinator, at that point in time, we stopped hearing about him being a co-DC, and he was essentially treated as the defensive coordinator. If I had to predict, I think the same kind of thing's going to happen with Schumann here there as well. For if no other reason, I don't think Will Muschamp's career ambition is to be a defensive coordinator anywhere. I mean, if he wanted to be a defensive coordinator, he could have been defensive coordinator to Texas a year ago for a very big paycheck, but he chose to be an analyst at UGA. Now he has stepped in to help Georgia in kind of a pinch hit situation here. But I think if anything, Muschamp wants to be a head coach again. He's not looking to be defensive coordinator Georgia. I think that's what Glenn Schumann wants to be. I think eventually that's what he will be. But for now, it's probably nice for him to have the cover of obviously a well-respected coaching name like Will Muschamp to allow him to grow into this role. Yeah, I think Will Muschamp is going to be at Georgia for a while. I think he wants to stick around this program and help it grow into this next phase. And I think that's why you don't want to see – or I don't think you're going to see him rush to 
be that defensive coordinator and then rush out the door to be hired as a head coach elsewhere. I think that's what tends to happen with Georgia defensive coordinators under Kirby Smart. So, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is, is what sort of touch does Glenn Schumann put on this defense? Because even though, yes, Kirby Smart is obviously still very involved, there's a very distinct difference between, say, the Mel Tucker defense and the Dan Landing defense. So, how does this defense grow and evolve going from Dan Lanning, who's got a very aggressive blitzer, blitz a lot of six-man looks, linebackers coming up the middle? How does Glenn Schumann evolve in that role as the defensive play caller? What sort of touches does he put on this defense that is obviously going to have to reload, but at the same point in time, have a lot of really talented players? And by the end of the season, I expect it to be one of the ten best defenses in college football. I want to finish up with, that's a very strong prediction, love to hear that. I want to finish up with some thoughts on Eric Gilbert here in a moment. Let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here right now. A lot of really good things going on at Kroger, especially for those of you who need work right now. Obviously, it's a time in which we're, listen, we're trying to pay for things and obviously good jobs help you do that and a rewarding career awaits you with our friends at Kroger. They take great care of their employees. In fact, you can find that out yourself right now when it comes to the Talent Tuesday event happening at your local Kroger for today from 4 to 7 p.m. That's every Tuesday from 4 to 7 p.m. You can stop by, say hello. You can apply right there on the spot, or you can go to the website jobs.kroger.com for more details. Jobs.kroger.com for more details. You hear me talking all the time about how well Kroger takes care of those of us who are Kroger shoppers. Well, they're going to take care of you there as well as a Kroger employee, but you got to go to jobs.kroger.com or just stop by in store here this Tuesday from 4 to 7 p.m. for more information on that. Uh, Connor, you also wrote about Eric Gilbert in your piece at dognation.com this morning. We talked to Terrence Edwards about that on Thursday. Terrence's words get a lot of attention, but Connor, my wish for UGA fans is the thing they pay the most attention to from what Terrence said last week is temper expectations. Go slow with all of this. And listen, I'm as guilty as anybody of hyping up Gilbert over the years as a high school recruit. He's about as good as anybody I've seen, or at least he's as fascinating as any I've seen because of how you know well-developed he was as a pass-catching target even way back then. So listen, if there's a runaway hype train for uh, Eric Gilbert, I've been the conductor of that, probably so. But at this point in time, out of respect of what he's been through, something that took him off of the football field, now trying to work his way back to that, I do think we should listen to Terrence here. I do think we should temper expectations. I'm guessing that whatever Smart says about Gilbert today, if asked – will also be in that direction, whether he acknowledges that he's practicing or not. I think one way or another, tempering expectations and allowing Gilbert to have the space and the time to to work his way back at his own rate here, I just think that makes the most sense. What do you think Smart says about Gilbert today? Yeah, I think he's going to keep it very close to the bat, you know, say yes, he's practicing with the team, but I can't help but think of, you know, what Harry Miller, the former Ohio State offensive lineman, shared last week and some of the mental struggles that he went through in his time, you know, five star recruit, dealing with injuries, not necessarily seeing the field. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before about the value of football and, and the importance of playing and what it does for this young man. But as much as it is a brutal game on bodies and the physical toll that it takes, it is just not, if not more brutal on the mental psyche. And, and when you have so much expectations like you do in a Reed Gilbert, through no fault of his own. He's just going out there and playing football. And, and because of his gifts and talents, these tremendous expectations that he's going to be better than Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's going to be better than Brock Bowers. You know, that's what people thought of him as a prospect. When you don't live up to those, people start asking, well, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And that really starts to add up and put even more pressure on these guys who are already dealing with that in, in tenfold ways. Most people can't 
can't imagine. And so, you know, I, I 100% agree with Terrence. You know, the, the biggest thing for Reed Gilbert, it's not, you know, is he pushing for starting time? How many catches does he have on G-Day? Can he go through practices and be a contributing member to this team and, 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 and do everything that he needs to and wants to do to be a football player at Georgia? We didn't see that last year. He had to take time away. You know, the situation at LSU is the situation at LSU. And so all this attention that comes from him, from, you know, almost none of it being on-field production, you know, that obviously causes great worry and concern just about his overall well-being. And so, you know, I'm not going to rush out there and throw up an Arik Gilbert headline of, oh, Kirby Smart said Arik Gilbert's going to be a fantastic football player, you know. And I don't think Kirby's going to give that kind of lip service, you know. I think with Arik, the biggest thing is making sure that he's 100% good to go as a person so that, in the event that one day he's able to contribute to this football team, he's in the best possible mind state to do so. Connor, uh, great stuff. Appreciate you being here today. Look forward to having your coverage of spring practice from Athens here today. I love this time of year, man. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, a lot of football talk coming up, and I, I can't wait to read everything you write about it there at dognation.com. So we will chat with you on a Kirker Fresh Take again very soon. Yep, thanks for having me on, man. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I just can't wait. I, I just love it. I mean, it, it's just such a good time. Uh, my son's got his first baseball game tonight. Yeah, George starting spring practice. You know, you got Major League Baseball coming back. Uh, March Madness, obviously, this week. George is nowhere to be found in that, of course. But you know what I'm saying. It's just, it's just a really fun time of year. And to me, Georgia spring practice is such a huge part of all of that. And I'll tell you what's great. As much fun as it is right now here in the early stages of spring, as we run our way through spring practice, once we get past G-Day, guess what that's time for? First ever cruise with Dog Nation. We're going to be on board with Royal Caribbean Independence of the Seas. So believe me when I tell you, as quick as spring practice goes by, you blink your eyes and it's G-Day. As quick as all that happens, once uh, that's done, we're on board, folks. So if you've been hearing me talk about it and you've been saying, hey, I want to be a part of the first ever cruise with Dog Nation, Literally, the clock is ticking. Now is the time to do it. Go to dognation.com. Find out all about it. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas. We're going to be going to NASA on the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco K. Enjoying all the great stuff that happens on board. You know, I was just on Harmony of the Seas. Harmony is a beautiful ship. Uh, Really, really cool. There are some things, though, about Independence of the Seas, the ship that we're about to be on, that are actually a little different than Harmony of the Seas. There's... um, uh, a, a couple of actually, like for instance, there's a Playmaker Sports Bar on on, on Independence of the Seas that Harmon does not have. So this will be my first chance to go to Playmakers, and it's amazing. It's like you know, great sports bar food. Obviously, the, uh, the the beers and the beverages that go along with all of that, and just watching sports. I mean, you're already uh, on the high seas. You're in the Bahamas. You're doing some cool stuff like that, and you're just kind of hanging out at a sports bar and, and and doing all that kind of fun stuff. That's some of the things that obviously uh royal caribbean provides on these great cruise ships including independence of the seas the one that we're going to be on but the one thing we really need to have on board is you so still a little bit of time for you to get on board you've heard me talking about this a lot go ahead and make your plans to be ready to be a part of all of it it's going to be so much fun in nassau in perfect day coco k uh, on board the beautiful independence of the seas at dognation.com click the link there at the top and you can be on board and uh, get ready to go with all of that so uh auburn coach brian harson made a interview appearance with the uh, folks over on the next round it's a uh streaming video show based out of the state of alabama covering kind of alabama auburn stuff and he kind of talked about the 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 challenge of this past off season and kind of getting back to work and basically trying to put his attention on the football team here now after 
there was a attempted coup against him and all these unfounded rumors that ended up kind of fizzling away and you know harson kind of addressed that the role the boosters played and all of that and you know how he tries to kind of refocus the the situation with his team here moving into the 2022 season now a couple of thoughts here about harson that i think continue to linger out of all this the issue for harson is he's not a good enough coach like all the rumors that were thrown out there all of the stuff that was kind of thrown out there the issue for harson is He's just not a good enough coach. The people closest to this situation are always the first to know. Recruits seem to completely reject him on on site. Uh, players ejecting themselves in the program in mass. Coordinators, he's had like a half dozen of them. That, that's just all of that is evidence. This is a guy who's beneath the standard of an SEC program. We don't like Auburn around here, but the truth is, it's still an SEC program. And there's a certain standard that the coach has to have. Harson is underneath that standard. And that's where his biggest issue is going to lie. Moving into the upcoming season, it's not off-field distractions. It's, it's his own ability to match the, the requirements of the job. That's why you got to be careful with who you hire when you hire a coach. Because when you go to a guy that doesn't have that level of experience, there's often a chance that he's overwhelmed by the new requirements of the new job. And in Brian Harson's case, that's what seems to be happening here. However, I think that the story of the offseason, though, is really about the Auburn institution, the, the athletic program, the university itself, and what it allowed to happen. And I don't think enough has been said by this. Harson's words in this latest interview kind of give light to that as he tries to put kind of a happy face on this and kind of get back to the business of, of working here. But there were folks who had their name dragged through the mud throughout all of this as a way of trying to pin something on Harson so that he could be fired. Boosters wanted this to happen because they didn't like him to begin with. They had their guy they wanted. But the university sort of stood by and let all this play out because they, I think, know deep down that Harson was not a good hire for them. And they were hoping to find some reason, not to save money because they weren't going to be able to do that, but to save face, to have a justifiable reason to move after him, move on from him in year one. And what they instead had happen is a lot of folks who were connected in some of these rumors, and some of you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, where do they go to get their life back now? You know, where do they where, where do they go to get be you know made whole again? I think the behavior of Auburn through this has been frankly pretty reprehensible. I really do. Um, I think that. They stood by, let rumors mount in the hopes that one of them would end up being true so they could maybe save a few bucks, but more than anything, kind of save face here. They don't come across looking very good in this. It's not Harson's fault that he's not a better coach. Um, if you were offered the head coaching job at Auburn, of course you would take it. Um, the fact that he's failing in that job is he can't help it that he's not a better coach. Uh, this is on Auburn to make a better coaching decision. If they offer him the money, clearly he's going to take it. But to watch the way and, frankly, almost the weaselly way in which that Auburn has tried to get out of its relationship with Harson over the course of this past offseason and the, and the voice they gave to so many boosters and all of this, that does not paint Auburn, I believe, in a very favorable light. And I just think that's uh, kind of worth mentioning. Uh, we talked yesterday about the start of Alabama spring practice. One thing to point out is Alabama's also got a couple of uh, player absence right now injuries uh, Darian uh, Dalcourt the center he's not going through spring practice and uh, Jory Brooks wide receiver not doing the same thing there either so for an Alabama team that's obviously kind of eyes on revenge against Georgia preseason number one we talked yesterday about the arrival of all those uh, uh, transfers and the attention that Nick Saban gave them in his introductory spring press conference also a couple of injuries of note there as well and you know I think that 
what recent years show us in college football is, is that a guy not participating in spring practice is really not that big of a deal. For instance, like Nicobe Dean last year didn't go through Georgia spring practice, went on to have one of the best individual seasons that any Georgia defenders ever had. A couple of years before that, the kind of uh, archetype for uh, Nicobe Dean, Roquan Smith, the same thing, did not participate in spring practice, yet um, you know goes on to have obviously his own Butkus Award winning season. There is really very little punishment, very little penalty for a player who's not able to participate in spring. But what can be very troubling is when a guy gets hurt during spring practice. And listen, football is a sport of brute physicality. There is very little you can do to completely mitigate away against injuries. But it is a reminder here that guy who's injured and doesn't participate in spring is nowhere near as bad as a guy who gets hurt during spring because all of a sudden now you're talking about a timeline that starts to put the beginning of season in question if not completely uh, eliminate the beginning of the season from a possibility there so Alabama dealing with a uh, couple of injuries then finally there's this we talked yesterday about the very aggressive response to Texas A&M not being included in the NCAA tournament field. Tennessee not being rewarded for having won the SEC tournament. Uh, Joe Lenardi, you know him as the bracketologist there at ESPN, basically openly admitted that the committee's just not watching what's happening on these like Saturday and Sunday deals here. That when you think about like say Villanova and Duke, teams that could have been moved down because Tennessee won, that the committee's just not doing that that they either don't have time to or don't have the the willingness to. So I think you're left to wonder, like, what's the point of playing these conference tournaments? If, if, if the games themselves don't reward the winners, then why play the games? Obviously, it's about money a little bit, uh, you, know, you know, clearly. But there has to be some sort of competitive justification for doing it. Now, if you obviously win the tournament and get the automatic bid, that's one thing. But in this particular case, Tennessee going through winning the SEC tournament and getting nothing for it, nothing for it whatsoever, has obviously raised a bunch of questions. Even more so for a team like Texas A&M that played really well down the stretch, also won a couple of games in the NCAA tournament, don't get included in the field at all. I'll give credit to Ross Bjork, the A&M athletic director, for kind of stepping up and arguing for this. And this is one of the things that I think that there's kind of a young crop of athletic directors that does really well, that maybe some of the old guard ADs didn't always do, where I think there's been a desire in college sports for a long time, especially maybe in the SEC, to kind of toe the company line and, you know, not to be not to go rogue too much. But every now and then, you know, it's like you have to answer the question of who am I working for? Am I working for the other SEC ADs or the other NCAA level executives or am I working for my own fan base, my own university? And Ross Bjork in this particular case seems to be working for his own school and arguing, frankly, you know, quite critical of a process uh, he calls it flawed that doesn't include Texas A&M in the NCAA tournament field. I think that Bjork is both right about what he says, but also right in his willingness to argue for his own team. That's what you want to see. You want to see athletic directors that step up, argue on behalf of their school, even when it kind of runs against the kind of general consensus, agreed upon consensus. In this case, that's what Ross Bjork does. Pretty good stuff from him. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, speaking of basketball for a moment, Maybe a little bit of an interesting look, slightly different look, at the decision to hire Mike White as Georgia's next basketball coach. And it comes from Pat Dooley. Now, Pat is a longtime, now retired, writer covering the Florida Gators for the Gainesville Sun. Uh, Pat's been on our show before. He's been on SEC Country Live before. Uh, He is as deeply entrenched in Gainesville as one can get. And 
in a story by Chip Towers at the AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, Chip spoke to Pat about how it is that Mike White comes to leave Florida. And Pat, in the story from the AJC, said something very interesting about the way that which White seemingly viewed Florida fans. Now, if Mike White dislikes Florida fans this much, then trust me when I tell you, he's going to fit in very well here in Athens. Let me show you this quote on the screen. Longtime Florida insider Pat Dooley on the subject of Mike White says, the criticism that he got from Florida fans, the first couple of years, he didn't let it bother him. Then it got to him. It frustrated him. They literally drove him out. That's Pat Dooley uh, via the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on that. Also kind of coinciding with something that uh, Mike Bianchi, longtime columnist of the Orlando Sentinel, I think you would agree, a pretty staunch Florida homer, uh, also has said about the fact that Mike White was not in danger of losing his job at Florida. Now, maybe there are a lot of Florida fans and maybe even Florida decision makers who are not that sad to see him leave. That may be true. But it certainly seems like from folks inside of Florida that White was not in danger of losing his job here at the end of the season, that he may have left on his own accord to go somewhere else. We mentioned yesterday Ole Miss as a strong possibility there in the event that Kermit Washington is out as a Rebels head coach. But some of this is about White just being frustrated about the fact that Florida fans never seemed to embrace him, despite the fact that he was making the NCAA tournament on a regular basis and a few years ago actually got to the Elite Eight. Not as good as the best years of Billy Donovan, but Donovan's last year in Florida wasn't also as good as the best years under Billy Donovan either. So this is not spin control for me. I think some of the skepticism that exists about the Mike White hire, I think, remains justified. But you heard me talk a moment ago about Brian Harson and the risk that you take when you hire the mid-major guy who oftentimes finds out that the job at the next level, the next level up, is just bigger than he's capable of accomplishing. And by hiring Mike White, you do at least take some of that off the table. It may not be that exciting. He'll be introduced today as Georgia head coach. We'll see how well-received he is. They're actually invo- inviting fans to be involved in that ceremony here today. We'll see how quickly White is embraced by the uh, Georgia basketball fan base. Uh, in some respects, you might expect this to be somewhat lukewarm. You know, Georgia fans may have a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude about this. But by hiring a guy who's been the tournament, won tournament games, who's been in the SEC – you are kind of taking unmitigated disaster off the table. I don't mind telling you, for as much as I like Jonas Hayes, as much as I enjoyed seeing the support that Hayes got, being the former Georgia player, former Georgia assistant, knowing the recruiting landscape here in the state of Georgia really well, if the choice is only a binary one between Jonas and White, then I do think White was probably the uh, better choice there because of the kind of experience that he's gained, because the fact that he's been in the NCAA tournament, actually won games in that tournament, as I said yesterday. You have to go back to like the 90s to find as many tournament wins for Georgia as White has gotten in his short tenure there at Florida. That's at least worth a consideration in all of this. And now maybe he comes to Georgia hating Florida fans as much as we all do, as we said before. Uh, That might be a, a reason that Mike White might fit in pretty well here at UGA. We say that as he gets ready to be introduced here today. And maybe we'll get a chance to offer him a finished long drink here pretty soon to uh, toast his arrival in Athens. Of course, finished long drink, very popular there in the Classic City and very popular with so many of our uh, friends in our audience there, too. In fact, many of you have already tried it, but if you haven't, you can go to thelongdrink.com to find out where you can pick some up. You just go to that website, long, thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code, and you can figure out beverage store, golf course, bar, uh, so many cool places to enjoy some finished long drink and so many cool varieties 
of the finished long drink for you to try, whether it be the long drink cranberry that's got kind of the gin kick with the cranberry uh, to go along with it, the long drink strong, the traditional, which comes in a blue can, and it's got the grapefruit kick to go along with that uh, nice gin flavor, uh, the long drink uh, zero there as well, no carbs, no sugar. It comes in a can. It looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. It's delicious. So find out more for yourself at thelongdrink.com, thelongdrink.com, and figure out where you can pick up some today. So for our golden shoe here, we're going to touch on a kind of a sad subject here today, but a lot of you had sent this to me because you know I'm a pro wrestling fan, so I at least want to give uh, an homage out to the great career of Scott Hall, the former wrestler known as Razor Ramon. He was obviously part of the NWO in the uh, 1990s for WCW, and Tinfoil Hat of Truth sends that to me to say sad day, but the passing of Scott Hall, and I agree, it truly is. When I think about the 90s and think about wrestling, it was just so big and so popular back then, and I don't know that the arrival of Hall to WCW after all the internet rumors for so many months, I'm not quite so sure that wasn't the single most exciting moment of the entire you know time there when wrestling was so hot back then. I heard it described yesterday that he may be the most impactful non-world champion of all time. I realize it's not a wrestling show, but some of you know that I do like wrestling, so I appreciate so many of you sharing that with me, and obviously condolences to the family of Scott Hall for his passing and all of his friends in the industry there as well. Speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about Gator Hater Updater? 4,814 days since they've won a national championship. And Gator Hater Countdown taking another loss to Georgia coming up 228 days from right now. That's our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, R.S. Andrews is one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. So one of the things you know I've talked about a lot of like the uh, kind of crazy NIL rumors that are out there. And like a weird source of these things has been a website called Bro Bible. And I guess Bro Bible's back at it. A couple people sent this to me. So the headline is uh, Florida State defensive back reportedly becomes first college player to hold out due to lack of NIL deal. Uh, I'm just going to read this. This is from Bro Bible. Um, obviously, I would take all of this with a grain of salt. Um, so when the NCAA introduced uh, interim rules on name, image, likeness last summer, it changed the landscape of college athletics forever, Bro Bible says. On the surface, it became the first time that players could profit off their being, uh, profit off their being while actively participating in NCAA-sanctioned events. Um, so blah, 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 blah. So now in Tallahassee, it says there's a new development. Florida State football is said to be dealing with a pay-for-play adjacent scenario with one of its top uh, cornerbacks. The Seminoles open spring practice of the weekend and will continue through the spring game on April 9th, but reportedly will be without Jarvis Brownlee for the foreseeable future. As of right now, Brownlee is believed to be holding out. According to – I actually uh, know Ingram here. Uh, Ingram Smith is the reporter here for Knowlescast. I'm going to read what he tweets. He says, the Jarvis Brownlee situation is an interesting one, and I'm sure there are two sides to every story. As I understand it, the frustration is not about the lack of an NIL deal. In my opinion, there was one present. From what I've heard, Brownlee uh, did not meet the minimum requirement of the agreement, and as such, compensation has either been delayed or will not be occurring. Um, uh, Josh Newberg, who also reports for 24-7, kind of suggests the same thing. and uh, so there you go. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee's also kind of acknowledged the tweet from Ingram Smith and all of this. So apparently Florida State may have a dude, according to uh, Bro Bible, who's uh, sitting out um, because of lack of an NIL deal or lack of being paid for the deal or whatever else. And I actually said this on the video thing yesterday that 
people are always worried about what happens when the player goes to a school because of the NIL, but then transfers, basically reneging on his end of the deal. And I, I tell you, it's the other side of that that I think is also going to be a thing there too, where a guy comes to a school because he's been told, um, you know, hey, come here and, you know, we're going to give you this NIL. But somehow, some way, the money never quite materializes. I promise you, we're going to hear in the future about a player who thinks he's supposed to be getting NIL deal that he's not getting. I don't know if that's what this is or not, but that's the case. Also on Twitter, uh, Chadwick, who's a smooth CMI, on the subject of basketball talk, saying he'd like to hear more of it. This is one of the things that I do think is going to be pretty interesting to see how much Georgia fans do take the you know the enthusiasm they've had about a basketball coaching hire which you know in some cases maybe Mike White matches that maybe he doesn't but does all this just go away like Mike White's going to be introduced today as Georgia basketball coach and they're even inviting fans to be a part of the ceremony but what happens after that like here's the thing I'll be happy to confess to you like I don't really know how to follow college basketball out of season like football we clearly know how to do that we do that every single day we know the spring practice calendar. We know the recruiting calendar. But basketball recruiting is kind of strange. There are two signing periods, and there's all kinds of reclassifications, whereas like that's still a relatively new thing for football, but reclassifications in basketball have kind of gone on for a long time. There's obviously endless transfers. The process of how one even follows basketball during the offseason, I, I, I'm not really all that well-versed in it. Now, Ultimately, we have an audience to serve here, and the overwhelming majority of our audience still wants to hear overwhelmingly about football more than anything else. But I am curious to see if if White, who does have SEC experience and seemingly is supposed to be a pretty good personality, um, you know, if he can cultivate some off-season interest in UGA. For that matter, can he even cultivate interest during the season? Because that's no easy sell around UGA in and of itself. But but seeing what happens during the first off-season for White as UG basketball coach. I am curious to see, can he do something that earns headlines? Can he do something that generates some conversation, some attention? I think that Georgia fans are open to it, but it's going to be Georgia's job, led by Mike White, to to satisfy that, to, to conjure up that attention. I think that's indeed the case. All right, so good stuff here today. We'll wrap up with our R.S. Andrews cooldown. Thanks for sticking around for this part of the show. Of course, R.S. Andrews is one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Going to be nice spring-type weather, I believe, the next couple of days, which gets you thinking about more spring weather being on the way. Air conditioning units getting tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Important time to do all of that, so find them online at rsandrews.com for a lot more. We will see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and look what a tongue to you then.